Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. <laughs> Let's go. I have the luck jaw today. <laughs> Did something happen? Did you fall on your jaw? No, but we'll talk about it later. I see. I, oh, I, wait. I Is that a bit of a transatlantic dialect I'm hearing? I was trying the lock jaw, but I'm not very good at it. The transatlantic well, no. accent. Well, we'll get to that because we right will. now we are in New York City. We are in New York City, 1940s. A.K.A. the dark ages of the newspaper business. That's what they said. <laughs> they, they, uh, they ain't living now. They said it. This is 1940s His Girl Friday. His Gal Friday. His Gal Friday? His Gal Friday, and I have more on that. All right. I think. Maybe you need to look that up. Okay, it's a black and white film. Start. It is all set in New York City, pretty much set in a press room mm-hmm. of a newspaper. The particulars, please. All right, this was released July 11th, 1940. So we are doing this. I randomly picked this movie on the weekend of its 79th anniversary of being released. You did not randomly pick it. I did. You did that on purpose. No, I did it on purpose because I was like, last week we did all the president's men. And I said, hmm, I'd like to see another newspaper room. Let's do His Girl Friday. That's right. I thought it was interesting because this movie is set in 1940. All the president's men was set in 1972. So you will see in His Girl Friday, the newsroom. And then 32 years later, you will see the newsroom in All the President's Men. Which is interesting to think that that was 32 years, but from when All the President's Men, 1972, to I used 2018, because we haven't had that much 2019 yet, and that's 46 years. Mm. So I was just like, man. Yeah. And I want to stand corrected. It is his girl Friday. Yes, I thought so. I thought that that was part of your transatlantic accent. No, it wasn't. That you call girls gals. No, I don't think that would go that way. I didn't either, but I thought maybe it was a bit you were working on. (laughs) Thank you for the benefit. I was going to allow you. I was like, this bit is not working, but she's (laughs) going to figure it out soon enough. As frequently your bits don't. Okay, (laughs) go ahead. It's directed by Howard Hawks. Now, Leonard Martin called Howard Hawks, quote, the greatest American director who isn't a household name. Mm. All right. So, Interesting, because I was going to argue with that point, but I, I get it. He also did the first Scarface. Actually, I don't know if it's the first Scarface. He did an earlier version of Scarface. Not the Pacino one. Not the Pacino Pfeiffer. Bringing Up fun. Baby, which we still haven't done yet. Mm. Um, And the, the Big Sleep. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. And Rio Bravo. 
Oh, okay. He was known for his frequent portrayals of strong, tough-talking female characters. And that came to be known as Hoxian women. Wow, that's unusual for that time period. Mm -hmm. The screenplay was by Charles Ledever. He also did the screenplay for 1931's The Front Page. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, The Spirit of St. Louis, Ocean's Eleven, and Mutiny on the Bounty. Wow. This guy was a child prodigy. He was raised by his aunt, Marion Davies, who was the mistress of Wildum Randolph Hearst, the huge newspaper mogul, which in those times, he was a media mogul. And... Wasn't he the inspiration behind Citizen Kane? I think. I think mm. Citizen Kane is loosely based on him. So this kid, he dropped he dropped out of college at age 13. Dang. He was in college was, enough to drop he out was at in age college 13. And at age 13 was like, man, this is for the boys. Wow. And he went to work at the newspapers. Because his aunt Marion was like, "Well, I do have an inn, <laughs> kind with of a, a guy. big inn, so you could drive a Hummer through that." I mean, inn. you are thirteen, and you haven't. You're well, you're thirteen, so you're you're kind of underage. But he's like, "I'm a child prodigy, dame. I'm smarter than you are. I'm smarter than everyone. Give me a shot, and I'll write a screenplay." Oh, mm-hmm. and he did. Mm-hmm. So. It is based on the play, The Front Page, by Ben Hecht, who he also did Scarface, Gunga Din, Wuthering Heights, It's a Wonderful World, Spellbound, Notorious. He was uncredited on Gone with the Wind and The Shop Around the Corner. Yeah, I knew I'd heard that name before. And a Charles MacArthur, who was married to one Helen Hayes, who was like supposed to be the... Broadway actress of all time. Yeah, there's even an award named yeah, after her. The Helen Hayes Award. Mm-hmm. Like theater people are like, oh my, she's a goddess. Goddess. She might just be a god. There might not be any deaths mm-hmm. at the end. Of no, it. she's so high, she's a god. Mm-hmm. Um, he also wrote Wuthering Heights, Gunga Din, and Barbary Coast. The music is by Sidney Katner and Felix Mills. There was nothing. There were no links. These names were not in blue on Wikipedia, so I, I have I do nothing. not remember any music at all. There was music at the very, not at the very end, but the, the last scene. There's a scene where Cary Grant, he turns around at the end, kind of toward the end of the movie. And I'm like, oh, there's the music. Oh, Interesting. Okay. So that was those guys. The director of photography is Joseph Walker. He did 145 movies. Wow. Among those, he did 20 Frank Capra films. Oh. So he did You Can't Take It With You. It's a Wonderful Life. He also did Born Yesterday. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It Happened One Night. This guy knows what he's doing. It was edited by Gene Havlick. He was nominated for three Academy Awards in his career. He also edited Lost Horizon. You can't take it with you. Mr. Smith goes to Washington, and it happened one night. Mm-hmm. It is starring. Oh, what? Do you have something? 
We we did it happen one night. Didn't we did. We? Okay. We it's starring Cary Grant, who is also born as his birth name was Archibald Alec Leach. Yes. And he made a who he or whoever decided to dub him Cary Grant made a hell of a decision. They did. They did. May I just he, say he's he's not an Archie. He that's that's the real MVP of this film. Whoever decided Archie, you're now Cary Grant. Yeah. Um, you know him. We did the Philadelphia story. He's in which also he did the same year. You do His oh. Girl Friday and the Philadelphia Story. 1940 was a fantastic year to be one Cary Grant. Wasn't every year. Yeah, he, he didn't do too bad for himself. Yeah. He was also in Bringing Up Baby, Arsenic and Old Lace, North by Northwest, and Sherrod. Sherrod. He is known for his transatlantic accent. What does that mean, Aaron? Well, I Googled it, and I wanted to know, well, what does that sound like? And since it was on a written, uh, I was looking at it on the Internet, so that's written. So I had to read what it sounds like. And, that's and called, you went down a rabbit hole. That's called phonics, which I never completely grasped. No. So I, I had to. How hard I tried to teach it to you. No. I, and, and guess what? I realized today, still don't. Don't know yeah. how I learned to read. Somehow it's you. I am proof that it is possible to learn how to read without knowing phonics. Oh, yeah. A whole lot of people out there are saying that. Yep. So I did what you do. I forwarded the article to my teacher, Ma, and said, hey, read this and let me hear the, how it sounds. And I did what a retired teacher does, and I skimmed the article. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. So what is it? <laughs> well, it is. Uh, it was in the 30s and 40s, where, and it was primarily around the Philadelphia area, from what I read, where, um, he, okay, digress. You know how uh, most premium auto commercials are done with a British accent? Uh, yeah, because it, it makes you feel like that that's uh, money, like it's yeah. high class. Like high class. I And, and also white. Oh, yeah. Oh, do we not say white? I, high I class? Just, yeah. I, but it's I just, thought that was a given. Yeah, but, but like we all thought that a lot of things were a given, but now since 2016, I feel the need that it has to be pointed out, obviously. So it's where you try to combine your American talk with a, a bit of a British accent. Ah. So you're, but you're it's not just like I just thought it was listening to it and trying to incorporate it like Madonna did when she was married to Guy Ritchie. Yeah, all of a sudden she's talking like uh, a Brit. Yeah. I say spot hot tea. But evidently there was that you could study it and know which sounds to make a different way. And the R is big with that. Like how? What's the R? Like the R. See now, Boston—they kind of just dropped the R. Yeah. You heard that a lot in Kennedy's speeches. Cube. No, they didn't drop the R. They added an R, like Cuber. Um, 
there was something with the R that I didn't quite get. Like, like it would be like a flappy R or a, a dizzy R. I didn't understand that. Where are the R? <clears throat> Who's serving alcohol to all the R's? Yeah. Right? I'll bet it would be when I do my drunk speed. I don't know. So you got flappy R's, dizzy R's. I don't know. I don't know. And those might be totally made up because, again, I didn't process what I was reading. But then it went into a whole thing of phonics with diphthongs and all of this stuff. And um, when I taught special ed high school in Texas, I had those phonics rules up in my room. Not for the special ed kids, people. It was for me. No, it wasn't even for me. It was for when a smart-ass kid would come in and act like this was the dumb class. And I would go, oh, okay, explain that diphthong to me that's up there. Oh, shit, Ma. That's, oh, yeah. That's some. Uh, that's that's something that Cary Grant's character in this movie would do. Yeah, they would, they would, they would kind of sputter and get red and leave the classroom. That is some next-level evil genius teacher shit right yeah. there. Who's doing fun. that? They didn't make fun of my kids. <laughs> I love that. Don't you? Oh, you think you're Mr. Big Pants, <laughs> yep. Mr. Big Brain? Yeah, yep. you got a big head. All right, what's diphthong? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how is it used in this word? <laughs> well, anyway, um, so it is kind of combining British speak, which is a high, an upper class thing with uh american speech so is it basic? because grace kelly had it too and so Catherine hepburn that's what i was gonna say is it just how Catherine hepburn talks exactly i think talking, she perfected it i think so too it, and very nasling of course because you know it reeks of money because you had to have money to be able to learn to talk like this and also thurston howell and honey howell uh, uh, Thurston Howe had the lockjaw when oh. he did his. And they mentioned them in the article because they were supposed to be so much better than everybody else on Gilligan's Island. So it's just snob. It's pretty much snob. You speak speech. snob. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So Cary Grant was known for speaking snob. Yeah, but he, he, but he was born in Britain. So he came, I mean, he had a British accent. Well, then so I, I felt like it was it was inbred in him, and then people listened and went, I want to sound like that. Uh, yeah, maybe, probably, because, yeah, people want to sound fancy. So they wanted to sound fancy and highfalutin. Everybody wants to, to raise their station in life or the um, illusion of their station in life. Yeah, but what is it? You can't take it with you, people. Get right okay. inside yourself. So we had uh, we had Cary Grant, right. and we also have Rosalind Russell, our first Rosalind Russell. This was her most famous role. I mean, this is like you think she of Rosalind. She was great. You're in like, it. ah, she's Hildy Johnson. She was also in The Woman, My Sister Eileen, Sister Kenny, Auntie May, and Gypsy. She played many roles from the 1930s spanning to 1970s. There are often, she played the classy and glamorous woman, 
and she accredited her long and the illustrious and diverse film career to the fact that she was never a sex symbol. Mm. And then we have Ralph Bellamy. A very young Ralph Bellamy. Yeah, because I'm like, Ralph Bellamy? Because, well, we'll get to it later, but something happens, and I'm like, Ralph Bellamy? And I was like, why is Ralph Bellamy? And the whole time, the guy looked familiar. I'm like, why does this motherfucker look so familiar to me? He looked like Ralph Bellamy. And then I was like, (laughs) well, let me see what he was in. Where might I know him from? Trading Places. Yeah. I was like, oh, he was in Trading Places. He was one of the um, the snobs, the rich yeah. racist dudes. Of he course. Was, he was also in The Awful Truth. He was in Rosemary's Baby. He was. And he was in Coming to America. And he was in 1987's The Disorderlies, starring the Fat Boy. Okay. Any more particulars? Yeah, I I have more particulars. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. We also had Roscoe Carnes. He was in Wings. And it happened one night, remember? Oh, I do now. Yeah. Also, I have Abner Biederman. He played Louie. I had him because I wanted to look up and see like what he was. Shame on me. He's American, Aaron. He's American. But you he, were looking at him saying, "What are you?" Yeah, we have a POC count. Whoa. I was like, "Is he?" Is is? I have something to add on that later. I was like, "Am I?" Because. It's not looking like I'm going to have anyone, so I, I had to, to make sure and look. But as but when I looked up, so he was also in Gunga Din, and he went on, and he had an illustrious directing career. He directed episodes of Gunsmoke, and he really? often was cast as, um, for his exotic looks. He would get cast as, as, like, all different kinds of people, like Asian people, Native American people. Because of his look. So I wasn't yeah, completely he, he, wrong. He did look like there could be some ethnic in him. And, you know, I mean, in the 1940s, if he could pass, he couldn't pass. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to see, you know, like, oh, he's of this. And all it just said was he was born in Milwaukee and he's American. So I don't know his 23andMe. Okay. We'll go with it. Helen Mack. I had to I had to list Helen Mack because she played Molly Malloy. Molly Malloy. And she was in Son Son of Kong, The Milky Way, and She. And then we also have John Quaylin, who played Earl Williams, and he was in the same year. He did His Girl Friday and also another movie called The Grapes of Wrath. Crazy. Yeah, I could see him in that. And he was in Casablanca. I thought he looked familiar. Well, they wanted short people next to Humphrey, I guess. So there you go. There are the particulars. Well done. Thank you so much. We start out in a newspaper room, newsroom. This is basically about two newspaper journalists who are divorced, who work on a story together. And it's obvious that the man, Cary Grant, 
does can't quite let go of the woman and she happens to be engaged to a young Ralph Bellamy and they're getting married tomorrow. So, and they're not just newspaper reporters. Cary Grant is the editor of the Morning Post and Hildy Johnson is the star reporter. She went away. She got engaged to Bruce Baldwin, who was a vanilla, basically read boring insurance salesman. And their plan is tomorrow they're going to get married and they're going to move in with Bruce's mother in Albany. <gasps> you know that emoji, the one with the big eyes and the mouth open? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, there's a man has been convicted and he's going to be hanged. And they're trying to get, he, they say that he was wrongly convicted. And so it's a huge newspaper story. And Walter wants Hildy to cover the story. Right, because nobody writes better than Hildy. Right, she's the best, and Walter knows that she's not a suburban housewife. And Hildy's like, I want more than this newspaper business. I want to, I want to watch my children's teeth grow. She says that at one point. Yeah, she does. So, basically, um, Walter is very conniving comes up with all these devious plans so that hildy has to go and hildy hildy's wise she knows who walter is and how he's always scamming and stuff she even takes bruce's wallet because she knows that walter's gonna try to steal his money and stuff and then walter says well how about you to bruce he says well how about you sell me a hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy if you'll if you'll allow hildy to work on this story and hildy's like bruce doesn't want anything to do with it because he's like no i could never ask you to do this but hildy's thinking because she knows that the commission on a hundred thousand dollars insurance policy is a thousand dollars and that's a thousand dollars in 1940s money so that's that's a, a lot of money that's a lot of money so hildy's like all right yeah you do that, yeah, I'll do it. Just one story. I do this one story and I'm out. And in the meantime, she knows that while she's doing this story, she's going to do it, and she knows that Walter is going to try everything that he, that he can to try to win her back and stuff, but it's not going to work. She's, she's, I, Hildy's eyes are on the prize, and she's like, I know what you're doing, motherfucker. You're not doing this on me. I'm going to... I'm going to do this story, I'm going to get your $1,000, and I'm going to ride out of here on the train with my new mother-in-law to Albany. That's true. Mm-hmm. Okay, because, I mean, um, well, Walter takes them to lunch, and he's reliving old stories from their past. And Ralph Bellamy is going, I think this is a good guy. Because he is extremely naive. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he's so you know, He's a bumpkin. He's a sweet-hearted bumpkin. Okay, so what is it that Earl Williams did that, oh. that got him the death penalty? Well, Earl Williams is a nice, shy shopkeeper. And very, very small in stature. He got laid off, right? He got fired from his job. And I don't know what happened. I, and he was just, he was like angry about it. 
and a cop came up to to like help him and see what the deal was and he shot and killed the cop and earl is going was convicted and he's going to be hanged because he killed a cop and the cop happened to be a black police officer we never yeah. see him because you know he's already in the ground but through the whole movie you hear outside of the newsroom the gallows, them practicing the gallows they built to hang Earl. And so the, yeah, go ahead. So the reason this is important is because the mayor and um, is running for reelection and the black, well, in the movie, they say the colored vote is very important. So, so the mayor wants Earl Williams to, you know, <laughs> because he wants the colored vote in the next election right so don't think there's anything noble going on here it's all the same bullshit also it's really weird because the guy shot a cop even if you take the color out of it like yeah usually you know when you shoot a cop yeah i know this from law and order they're like we got you on the death penalty we're gonna stick needles in your arm you shot a cop yeah like yeah that's what happened and so they're like no he's he's an innocent man and i'm like all right so i that guess was he didn't shoot the cop so he'll okay, there's the story there's a lot of banter and, and i have a fact about that later i mean there is so much banter going on between hildy and walter mm -hmm. okay well hildy's writing the article and um she goes you know there's all there's very little respect for the press around here which made me think of our present times okay so hildy is able to bribe a guard so that she can actually interview earl and she finds a talking point to uh send to the governor to say you know let's wait because there's this talking point the talking point was uh production for use nerd alert nerd alert oh please because i i just didn't even go any further i had to because while this is a screwball comedy i was still like all right he shot a policeman who's black and i'm like he shot a black policeman and all these people are saying that this guy's innocent right and i'm like in the all 1940 right, yeah all right like I i'm here but but tell me why he's innocent so Hildy sits down and she, Hildy comes, it's an economic theory to explain why Earl shot the cop because of production for use. So production for use is a phrase referring to the principle of economic organization and production taken as a defining criterion for a socialist economy. Damn, that's why I left it alone. The production of goods and services is carried out directly for their utility. So, basically, the reason that Earl is innocent is because he heard a guy speaking in the park, and the guy speaking in the park was a communist, and he was talking about production for use. So, when Earl had the gun on his hand, he shot the police officer because the gun was produced because it needed to be used 
and yeah. you, and so he did use the gun the way that it's supposed to be used and basically she's saying that that's his defense so that he would be he would be innocent because he's a bolshevik dupe he got he wow. got duped by oh man so that's ten not years, a good ten years later that's why they'd be frying him if he's a bolshevik well i just was like wait this guy shot this guy shot a cop and his reason for saying that he shot a cop he's innocent because he just had a gun and the reason that he shot the cop was because he had the gun and he used the gun the way he was supposed to. Right. And I just, he had a gun in his hand, so he had to use it. And they want to say that it's because of, and put like this whole socialism tint on it. And I call fucking bullshit on that. I don't understand. They, they should have just been like, uh, what's the big deal? He was a black guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, because that's what they're saying. They want to make it out like it's this social. And I'm like, Ser- because. And you know, you can tell when something is kind of racist. Here's a little trick that you do. You sort of reverse the characters and you're like, all right, let's say Earl is Donald Glover and the cop is John Cena. Donald Glover shoots John Cena. He's behind bars. He's about to get hanged. They're like, he's innocent. Why is he innocent? Donald Glover, why did you shoot John Cena? I shot John Cena because I had a gun, and a gun is used for shooting people, and so I shot John Cena. Right. Now, does that make any fucking sense to you? And then everybody's like, oh, it was the communists. The communists got to Donald Glover. We're not going to hang him. Yeah. Do do you? Does anybody buy that or think that that makes sense? No, that's, that's not going to no, fly it doesn't. Uh, no matter where. So I'm like, meh. Nah. That's just, it's just fucking racism. That's right. Call a spade a spade. <gasps> Whoa. Ouch. Problematic. <laughs> okay, well then I have written Molly Malone, but it's not Malone. It's Molly. Molly Malloy. Malloy. And I believe Molly Malloy may have been a sex worker. Molly Malloy. Let's just take a minute to discuss Molly Malloy. Because I loved Molly Malloy. She was a Saturday Night Live sketch. Yes, she was. In a film. You watch Molly Malloy and you're like, this is where they got it from. She was the quintessential, wow, man, what are you doing here? I'm, I'm a woman and look at you. You're all disgusting. Why are you even? She was, as the kids say today, extra (laughs) and and evidently she had befriended earl she sent him flowers and everything because she feels like he's being railroaded because you know he's working class she's definitely working class yeah and basically it's like why is he getting hanged he just shot a black guy yeah that's the subtext here and then she's talking to all the reporters there because there are a ton of reporters in that room and all they do is play cards. And she says, all they've been doing is lying. All they've been doing is writing lies. Or alternative facts. Well, they, they like to sensationalize. And that is depicted in the movie where somebody will say something to their newspaper because they have a whole bunch of phones. like, And they have the phones like... um. 
like Poppy has. Yeah, the old-fashioned one. Yeah, where you have to hold it to your ear and, and then you like hold a it daffodil. Uh-huh, and then you talk into them. And so yeah. they have a whole bunch of phones. And the reporters, that's they're at the courthouse in the press room. So they all just hang out. They got a lot of time to kill. When somebody hears something, then they get on the phone and they're like, ah, yeah, give me to the press. Yeah, this is what happened. And then they'll, like, they'll basically um, embellish. Well, they'll, embe- like, they'll all write their stories embellishing it to um like the stenographers of people writing it up and and that that's like what more. sells papers still today it was i mean papers were the entertainment papers were the netflix yeah of that time so Think yeah they were gonna, you had to use those phonics to read baby yeah they were gonna um sensa- sensationalize things because they had to entertain people Okay, well, Bruce, the fiancé, Ralph Bellamy, is in trouble. He calls Hildy because he's in trouble. Well, he's in trouble because <coughs> Walter has, you know, Walter's trying to get Bruce out of the picture as fast as he can. And, so, and he doesn't have a lot of time because they're getting on the 4 o'clock train to go get married. Yeah. Okay, well, um, the press room is reading Hildy's article. She is good. Hildy has the respect of all the reporters in there. And it's all men, and Hildy's a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, well, evidently, the governor of New York and the doctor who is overseeing the um, not uh, the hanging are talking to Earl, and somehow there is a jailbreak. Yeah. So you hear shots fired. Earl Williams got away. Well, Hildy's still in the press room, of course. And Bruce calls, and he's been arrested again because Walter sent some blonde over to entrap him in some way. Right. Okay. Well, at this point, the governor has sent a reprieve on the execution. But the mayor says, don't don't pass that along. I need my black vote. So we're going to pretend like this reprieve didn't happen. Yeah. The, the whole, yeah, because they're not, they're going to hang the guy because, you know, black people are like, you killed a guy. And not only did you, like, you didn't just kill a guy, you killed a police officer. I mean, blue lives matter. So Earl is, is on the loose. And the mayor says there's a $500 reward for anybody who gets him shoot to kill well all of a sudden through the window comes williams earl williams and it's just him and hildy in the press room he shimmied down the drain spout and he has a gun and he's holding it on hildy but of course hildy can get it away from him and so he they have to hide him so they put him in a roll top desk he's that small that he fits in a roll-top desk. Well, everybody comes back into the press room, including Molly Malloy. And at this point, mother-in-law comes in, and she is telling Hildy what a horrible person she is because, you know, her son is in love with her, but she'd rather write this article than, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And... Um, Molly is saying, well, he doesn't, Earl doesn't deserve to die. He's my friend. Molly does what, Aaron? 
well, Molly does what any overly dramatic woman does. And that is she goes to the window and jumps out of it. Does a swan dive. She and she, she didn't think about that ahead of time. She's, just, she's dead. Yeah. That was a well, bit no, of no. That was actually one of the funniest parts of the movie. <laughs> because it's... All right, first of all, you had me in because I thought that I was only getting one scene with Molly. And I was loving it. I was like, man, she, this woman, like, look at her. She is just working so hard right now. She leaves. I was like, I love this, but I, I think I love it for all the wrong reasons. But in 2018, it's all the right reasons. I'm like, she must have become a gay icon. I feel like she's just so, <laughs> she's so like, just Jack about she is yeah yeah she is so she comes back has this whole like soliloquy about how horrible the newspaper men are and how earl was the nicest thing that ever happened to her and she just she's like you know what whatever so she jumps out of the window these grizzled newspaper men run over to the window and like oh my god she's dead <laughs> and then then and you see and because people come over because, like, things have broken. Like, all hell is broken loose. Because the guy that they were supposed to hang in less than a few hours has escaped. And there's been shots fired everywhere. And so all hell is breaking loose. They, they Like, the paramedics come. And you just see the guys are outside the window. And they're like, oh, my God. Like, look away, everyone. She's dead. And then one of them looking is like, oh, no, she's moving. Oh, I laughed so hard at that. It was, yeah. He's like, oh, no, she's moving. So she didn't die is how. I mean, it's a screwball comedy. So she's she's fine, everyone. But she face planted. I don't think her face is going to be. In no, she's not. I mean, I, I guess I should, should reel on in. She's fine. She's obviously <laughs> not fine. But she, she's she alive. is still breathing air. Yeah, she's still alive. I thought she completely died. So did all of those newspaper men. They were all amazed. Like, oh, no, she's moving. So. Well, then um, Walter is trying to figure out how to get the desk out of the press room because, you know, dude is in the desk and they, they're trying to get him to safety. Plus. Well, they're not trying to get him to safety. They're trying to get him out of the press room so that they can have the exclusive story. And so they aren't seen as uh, hel yeah. helping a fugitive. Aiding and abetting the fugitive. Yes, exactly. Yeah. True, true. So the sheriff comes in and uh, he says he's going to confiscate the desk. Well, at that point, Earl jumps out of the desk. And uh, how can he jump? His legs have been curled up in there. Anyway, he goes, go ahead, just shoot me. You know, I'd rather die than go through this. Well, he did. I mean, I don't know if it's Roppers to Earl, but he was he stayed hidden when he heard his girlfriend face plant out of the window. Yeah. Like he didn't move for that. So I I don't know if that's cowardly or if you're like, no, nah, hey man, I you're you are a wanted criminal, eye on the prize. I see both sides. Yeah. Well, the sheriff comes in, is there, so Hildy and Walter are handcuffed, and 
then the reprieve comes in. There's a doofus who has the reprieve. He finally shows up. The, um, that doofus. I enjoyed that doofus. He had two scenes. He was like uh, Laurel and Hardy, the fat one. He w- he was a I would like a sea level kind of Hardy. Had the big eyes. Um, he he was good for some laughs for me. Yeah, he I was definitely when, channeling. He, he was very. He he was going for the fat um, paper pusher who's an idiot, and yeah, he nailed it. He he did nail it. He nailed it. Okay, so then the newspaper was going to write about um, the mayor framing an innocent man to win an election. Hildy and Walter talking about okay. old times. I just want to point out the innocent man admitted to shooting, to shooting the police officer. police officer. Just pointing that out. Alternative facts. So, um, again, Walter is going talking about their past. Hildy's crying because she, truth be told, she really loves Walter. She'd rather be with Walter than boring person. Somebody put the mother-in-law over their shoulder. Wait, it was, it was little Louie. Dude. Yeah. Louie put her, Ooh. the mother-in-law over his shoulder, walked her out. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause Louie's Louie and his blonde friend who I, I enjoyed cause the blonde, she, she was funny. Yeah, um, she was. So yeah, they're the ones to do all the dirty deeds for the newspaper editor, who's Walter. They carry I think out. The, I think the blonde was a red sparrow. Yeah, that's exactly what she was. Yeah, and she was so, good at it. So um, it ends up that Hildy and Walter are getting married again. The end. Right. So Hildy and everybody knew it because Hildy is a really good newspaper man. It's like she's a newspaper. She has all the respect of the city's newspaper men. And they're like, I just don't see Hildy giving all of this up when she's so good at it. And she obviously loves it to just go out to the country in the quiet life. And everybody knows that. And at the end of the movie, Hildy does too. And so Hildy and Walter end up back together. And she's the only one working in that newsroom. I mean, Walter's working to get her back because those other schmoes are sitting around playing cards all day. And one, one dude is, but they're staric- on, yeah, they're not on her in her news. They're on rival newspapers. That's the press room. That wasn't oh, their newspaper. Okay. They're okay, all rivals. Okay. That's why there was that whole thing when Hildy. So there's a scene. It's one of, it's one of my favorite scenes. It's a reheatable. I can, I'll just say it now, but I have others. Um, Hildy, it, she was working on the newspaper story and she left it in a typewriter because she went to go out for some, I think she probably went to go bust Bruce out of jail or something because Walter was always like messing with him and she always had to stop what she was doing to go bail Bruce out. I think there were four different times Bruce was yeah, put in jail. Yeah, so they're reading it and it's like a really good story and then one of the newspaper guys in there is like, um says something about like oh why are you like why are you reading it and they're like well we have like i don't think it's ethical for you to be reading that and the newspaper guy looks at him and he's like there's nothing like you know don't you lecture us on ethics we can read it it's unethical when you steal it 
And then they all were like, ooh, shots fired. And then that guy later, when he sees, when he comes back, because he wants to call something in, and that's when Walter's there and he's hiding the Earl in the desk, he needs to come in and use the phone. And so Walter lets the guy come in, and that's when he's, um, <clears throat> he's like basically auditioning because he's like, oh, I didn't know you were here because Walter's the managing editor of like the biggest paper in the city. And so he said, he's like, oh, so-and-so, yeah, yeah, I've heard of you. And so-and-so recites his news, like this poem that was in the article. And that poem was what Hildy wrote. So that newspaper guy stole what Hildy wrote because when Hildy, Hildy got mad at Walter and she took the paper when she was on the phone and she ripped up what she had wrote. And she was like, I promised you for a thousand dollars, I'd write the story. I didn't say anything about tearing it up. Right. So that was like when they're having one of their arguments. Okay, Aaron, POC count. I got a, so I have none. Then I was like, well, Louis, Louis might be. Um, we have the, the black police officer who was killed, but we never see him. Um, but we yeah. do have a racial slur. Okay. That was used. So um, Piccaninny. Yes, it was. When one of the newspaper reporters, Earl, has escaped, and the newspaper reporters is telling a joke about how a, and he says, Piccaninny went into labor, and they were looking to make sure that Earl wasn't hiding where up there where the baby would have been. See, and Aaron, what is a Piccaninny exactly? Um... It's a racial slur. Um, the figure is always juvenile, always of color, and always resistant, if not immune to pain. So it's a it it's bad, and it was yeah. bad in 1940. It was so, and a, everybody laughed about it. Yeah, ha ha ha. Um, also. Which this one, I, I mean, Piccaninny's definitely in the, we got it, no PLCs and one racial slur. Maybe I'll give a .5 racial slur for this. At one point, Cary Grant's character, Walter, Louis goes out and he does make some, he does comment that Louis's an immigrant. And he just says immigrant, like that yeah. immigrant. Yeah. So I'm counting it because the intent isn't like, ooh, yay, Louis. You know, he's pointing out that Louis is not like him. And so I'm like, all right. I mean, it isn't just I don't like the intent of what I heard there. So it's a point five. So we have no POCs and one point five racial slurs. One time my great aunt was at our house oh, no. and it was summer. And I used to get really tan. I, I was the tannest one in the family. And she said, oh, look at you. You look like a little piccaninny. Well. And at the time, I didn't know what that meant. But I could just tell by the delivery that, oh, that was uncomfortable. Sort of like you being called a digger one day. Yeah, you just kind of know. Like when I was yeah. listening, when I was watching the story, it was like, oh, yeah, piccaninny. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what piccaninny is. But I'm pretty sure that's a racial slur. Yeah, and it's like a caricature of you see um, 
a young black woman usually with braids that stick straight out and the big huge eyes. Well, I mean, I don't want to bring it back up, but Holiday Inn, that's... Well, there you go. Yeah. Okay, so let's move away from that to some nerd alerts. Nerd alerts. Nerd, let's see. What else do I have for nerd alerts? I have the one. Um, this was one of the first films to have characters talking over each other. Yes. Um, and then also, there was. So, there's a scene where Cary Grant is telling. Oh, he's telling the sparrow, the blonde. Mm hmm. To go to go uh, handle Bruce, distract right. him, and she's handle. like, "Oh, what does he look like?" Yeah, handle him. What does she he look like? And he's like, "Oh, he looks like the al- actor Ralph Bellamy," and I was like, "Ralph Bellamy?" That I didn't because I wasn't paying attention to the cards at the beginning ah. of the movie, and I'm like, "Ralph Bellamy? That sounds that sounds really familiar." And then when I was doing the um, you know, the cast, I'm like, "Wait, Ralph Bellamy?" So that was like an inside line because Ralph Bellamy played Bruce. So, yeah, he's going to look like the actor Ralph Bellamy. And Cary Grant ad-libbed that. Right. Because Howard Hawk invited ad-libbing. So there's also a scene where the sheriff is accusing Cary Grant's character, Walter, of helping the 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 escaped inmate. And he says, and Cary Grant says, Listen, the last man that said that to me was Archie Leach just a week before he cut his own throat. I was like, Archie Leach? But then when I was doing the Cary Grant, I was like, Archibald Mm -hmm. Alec Leach. I'm like, that cheeky motherfucker. Mm -hmm. Look at Cary Grant. So I like the the only things like filmmaking wise that I noticed was um, the tracking shots. There was tracking shots in the newspaper, kind of similar to what we saw in All the President's Men. Right. And I read, this might be a tasty nugget, and I might be jumping ahead, but um, they they could only do one microphone at a time. And they had oh. mics all over that press room because they wanted the two characters to move a lot. And so the sound guy had to do a really good job of turning off one mic, turning on the next one. Yeah. Did you read that? I didn't read that because mm-hmm. I went down like different holes and stuff and didn't have time to read that. But that's true. Um, there's some things with the editing where our 2018 sensibility is like, oh, that cuts kind of off and they kind of should have like that there's a couple of frames there that should have been cut. But you have to keep in mind that film editing, basically prior to the 1990s, was all manual and physical. You would get the film developed, and you had to manually make the cuts and then manually tape them together, splicing them Mm -hmm. on a machine. So this movie was one of the fastest movies done, and there are some things where you're like, oh, interesting. But it is, like, for for its time and, like, the resources and what they had, you're, I I mean, you tip your cap to it. Yeah. Because you're just like, man, this is 1940. Like, it doesn't, that didn't, the thing about this movie, 
it's black and white, and you're looking at it, and you're like, yeah, this is old, but it's it it still has like a bit of a modern feel to it, and it's weird when they're saying like this was before. I see black and white, and I don't know. I just think like after I just automatically assume that the World War Two's already happened. Oh, and so watching movies that are like from 1940, there was movies. There were references to Hitler in it, and you're just like, oh, man, guys, you you guys don't know what's about to happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, mm-hmm. and so it just, it's funny. It does hold up in certain aspects. Yeah. Um, it reminded me a lot of all the president's men with the, with the banter back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, and and like you said, it was the first movie where they'd actually talk over each other. Well, here's a little tasty nugget that can fit in right here. A normal movie has about 90 words per minute. And Howard Hawke wanted to make the fastest movie ever. This movie averages 240 words per minute. I probably re- had to stop and rewind. Uh, I would say... At- seven times because i was just like wait what did he say yeah it goes so fast and then you because the thing is like you'll hear something and it'll be legitimately funny and it'll surprise you because you're not thinking like you know i don't know you just have like that recency bias where you're like this is an old movie they're gonna be making these old timey jokes and something like really tickles you because you're like damn that was that was legitimately funny they don't stop for a, there's no laugh break to help you catch your breath. Like they keep going. So you're like laughing like because one, it takes a second to to like re-register. Like, did he just say? And then you're like, well, now that was funny. And then you'll do. Ha, ha. And then by then you're like, wait, what are we talking about now? And then you mm-hmm. have to go back and rewind and be like, all right, go. Yeah, it goes really fast. Okay, my reheatables are the comedic timing between Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. Mm. That was, that I thought that was amazing. That was a good reheatable. And um, the other reheatable is the embellishing of facts, which still happens today. Okay. Your reheatables. Oh, I got a bunch of reheatables. Okay, go. The dialogue, how fast it is. Yes. Like it it's we are in this society where it's like fast cutting, everything's fast. They're like information. We're used to the internet and getting everything so fast. Watch this movie and and tell me if if uh our auditory senses have lacked behind our visual cues of picking things up. Cause I was like, what? Slow the fuck down. Damn, like it's it not editing me. fast, but it it's the boom, 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 boom. Yeah, it reminded me of Hamilton in that regard. Yeah, where you're just like, oh man, I gotta pay attention. Yeah, Hildy's character, she's completely comfortable with, like, she's a, completely comfortable being around the men. She's a reporter. She's a newspaper man. They respect her. She respects them. She knows what Walter's up to. She knows all of his tricks and everything. She's out. She's always one step ahead of him. So, yeah, there's gonna there's obviously some problematic things because she's limited in what she's able to accomplish. 
and the just her basic whole arc is pretty sad that she is super good at being a newspaper woman but she's like no no guys I, and she has to like talk herself into telling herself that what she wants is to go you know be a woman because that's what she's supposed to want but in her heart she's like no i want to be this newspaper person mm -hmm. and she's and she's sad about that like she breaks down and cries over that um where did mention molly's character how <laughs> i mean molly's character i want a, a special category of she's like reheated like oven heated french fries like some people aren't gonna want anything to do with reheated french fries if yeah. you don't have an air fryer, they're just like, you're going to reheat them in the oven. It's worthless. It doesn't taste the same. But to me, because I'm on Plant Paradox, I'll reheat the motherfucking French fries because that's a potato. And they taste amazing. That's a potato. And that is, it's cheat day. I'm going to reheat the French fries in the oven and they're still going to be delicious. I understand that it's not for a lot of people, but it's for me. So there you go. That's Molly. Um... The femme fatale, who was the sparrow. I like that you said that she was the sparrow because she, I liked her because, yes, you know, she's the woman. She has to go out and seduce him with her wiles. But she, in her, whoever this actress is, in her brief role in here, she just conveys this, like, she knows exactly what she's supposed to do and she's in charge. I don't know if she feels like she has to be in this position. I don't know her whole backstory, but I, f I felt that she had a certain agency to her that made me feel okay in, I, I just liked her. I was like, oh, you go girl. Yeah. Cause she would, she would, okay. That's my job. That's what I'm going to yeah, go do. That's and my I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. And she, and guess what? She's fantastic at it. Cause if she wasn't fantastic at it, Walter would not have hired her and she would exactly. not be on staff. So <clears throat> I I look at that. I'm like, you go girl, you, you take it. She's working the system. She's like, look, I know that the world is not perfect. So I, I got what I got and I'm gonna make it work for me. I'm like, you go also. Oh man. So <laughs> at one point, Cary Grant does this hand gesture that had me rolling. It was hilarious. It was something. And he said, are you talking to me? And he does this <laughs> hand gesture that I loved. I was like, this, this is why Cary Grant is fucking Cary Grant. I don't, it was this, this weird hand gesture of, are you talking to me? And I loved it. I know I have a feeling that it was ad lib. This is why Howard Hawks is the best director that isn't a household name because he knew to take that shot. It doesn't really go with his whole. It's like it does go with his persona, but it doesn't go with his persona. But I love it because it makes me like his character more. Um, also. A reheatable is just how important the first paragraph is. At one point, Hildy is working on a story, and this is towards the end when she's really feeling it. Her and Walter, they're they're clicking, and Walter reads is over his shoulder and reads the first paragraph, and it, 
has a comment and it just reminded me of from all the president's men right when, when uh what's his face did the same thing and he's just like it's the first paragraph and that's true i remember that my aunt geneva told me that she was like you don't really need to read a whole newspaper story you should just be able to read the first paragraph and the last paragraph right and you right. should be able to get everything else is just filler mm-hmm. and then finally I finally started watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Thank you. I've been telling you about it. I know. And it, I wasn't, I just didn't have time. It was It was just something that I, I knew. I was like, I want to watch this show. I want to watch this show. Finally did. It is so delightful. And this. it's in this comedy. It's in the screwball way. They talk really fast in it. Yes. And it's the same kind of thing. And so I was like, ah. I want to let people know who who watched the first couple and were like, eh, keep watching. Um, I love the first season, but the second season is so much better because you already have the established characters. So keep watching it. It is amazing. Well, I I don't know. I was in from... The beginning, just because of how it looked. I was like, this is a television show? This looks like a movie. The attention to detail. I thought it was mm-hmm. hilarious. I was in. I, I always was like, oh, it's enjoyable. Like, the first time that I was like, well, I'm going to watch all of this, was when they were talking about the daughter's forehead. The, <laughs> the mother talking about the daughter's forehead. I was like... I'm in. This is hilarious. I resemble that remark. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god, is that what they said about me? Well, I felt like the first season they didn't use Tony Shalhoub enough. They did, but they were saving him. Wow, because I thought that he's. I've only seen the first four episodes. He's the MVP. He's fantastic in it. Oh I love god. the man. Oh so my god, that's okay. That's good to yeah. know. He just grows and grows and grows. Yeah. So I have, uh, what are your bad reheatables? My bad was, you know, the embellishment of facts. That's what I had. Oh. I mean, you know, the the racial slurs, of course. It was the 40s. (laughs) That doesn't excuse it. They laughed at Piccaninny instead of going, oh, man, dude, that's disgusting. Uh, I mean, you know, Molly threw herself out the window. Yeah, but she she did it for a laugh, so. Okay. I mean, that that says more about me, I know. As we've said, anything for a laugh. Yeah. Uh, My bad reheatable, yeah, the Bikinini is definitely on there. That does not age well. Um, Also, the whole Earl Williams, like, plot and his, his whole plight of innocence is like just giant i ah i i like that it's a screwball comedy and that i can just be like ah, but that's oh man yeah <laughs> he's not was, he yeah. shot the guy <laughs> like yeah it was it was not that was not real oh my guys but, and it was a cop like you can't yeah. shoot a cop <laughs> and you know like you, like you just can't shoot a cop you shoot a cop and you're like, it was on accident. I felt they had a better cause for like life in prison. I they like, like don't hang the guy. 
just give him life in prison because he didn't mean to do it. But I'm like, you're not innocent if you shoot no, somebody. No. Like, was did the cop pull a gun on you? Even then, I was just like, that. this whole thing does not age well. This no, is not aged true. well at all. So... What has aged too well is the politician trying to get a certain uh, group of people's votes. Oh, yeah. In order to win, which is unfortunately still happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, that caravan. That caravan's a coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah they oh, have yeah. this old caravan. Like a big old caravan. The caravan. Communism and stuff. Okay. you're. It, are you finished with your reheatables? Yes, I am. Okay, your MVP. My MVP. My favorite thing of this movie. Have you had the summit down to Aaron? What what was the thing that you enjoyed the most? A close number two is Cary Grant's hand move. I yeah. really enjoyed it. Are you talking to me? <laughs> like that I really enjoy. That was that was MVP for a while, but the my favorite part of this movie is at one point Earl has broken out of jail and all hell is broken loose. Everybody's running every which way. I actually don't even really understand what's going on at this point. Hildy is running and she's running in yes. her heels. And she what is is that a pencil skirt? We would call it a pencil skirt today. So it, it's a skirt. It's pretty tight in the thighs, and it goes just a little <laughs> bit past the knees, right? How you pay attention to these details. So yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. She can't about. fully extend. So she's running, and she's, like, <laughs> running really fast in her heels, in her, like, tight skirt, and she hikes it up as, as much as she kind of can so that she can still be Above her knees. womanly, but yet still run. And she's running and she there's this guy that she's running after and she closes and she <laughs> takes off and she does a textbook tackle from behind. <laughs> I, I said, Hildy, 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 Hildy. Did you just Dale Green that motherfucker? Yeah. She caught him from behind in a tackle. I stopped it and went back and did slow motion on it. The The editing is, I mean, it, it could have been. The editing a is bit. a little iffy. Yeah. But if yes. you watch the first shot of her, <laughs> Taking she's off. running. She takes off. She gets parallel to the ground. I don't, I'm yeah. going to, I want to give Rosalind Russell credit. I don't know if it was her or a stunt double and it's the magic of movies. Whoever that person is on the that is on the celluloid. She got vertical, or he, I don't know, whoever. But yeah. it's Hildy's character. She got completely parallel to the ground and it all out. Like she completely laid out to tackle the guy. I yeah. don't even know. She got information from the guy. I don't I enjoyed it so much, I don't even fully comprehend just who it was and why she did that. I don't that. even remember that either. But, but I was, was just like this, beautiful. you can't go to Albany. <laughs> like, I, I know I know. in this movie, everybody's had three to one odds that the marriage would last like three weeks because everybody knows how great of a newspaper reporter you are, Hildy. But when you went parallel and tackled the guy for the story, 
It's like there's no way she can give this up. That was no. textbook. So that's the yeah. MVP for me. It was how your brother used to, as safety used to tackle the big dude. Yeah, but they... he didn't do it in heels <laughs> and a tight true. skirt. <laughs> he did not. That's true. You know? Oh. Well, uh, my MVP was Hildy's costumes. Oh. Oh, my God. The hats. And, and how many different ways can you wear pinstripes? Because she had to be tough. Oh man, yeah, those were some those were some suits she had on. She had some power suits. Okay, are you ready for recasting? I am. I have two recastings, two casts. Okay. okay. So you can go ahead. You can go first, or unless you want okay, me to go first. My first one is just you know let's just go with more modern day people, and it's going to sound a lot. Like last week, but Hildy, I totally saw Sandra Bullock. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, you got to be, you have got to have a fast comedic timing and you got to be able to hold your own. And so Walter. Like speed era, speed era Sandra Bullock, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And Walter, I had Ryan Reynolds from Deadpool. You know, because he, he had to talk fast and uh, be a smart ass. If you, oh, here's some, Ma, is the proposal not a reverse sort True. of his girl Friday? Yeah, I never even thought of that. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Did you cast Bruce? I did. Uh-huh. Are you ready? Yes. James Marston. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. <laughs> just a nice guy. Uh-huh. Not doesn't have a clue, just a nice guy. Uh-huh. And now I did my I did my Hamilton casting, but I didn't get to Bruce. I'm gonna need help with Bruce. Okay. So I have um as Hildy, I have Paula Patton. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as Walter, I have Don Cheadle. Yes. Thank you. Drop the mic. Yes. But I didn't get to Bruce. I just couldn't. I just was. Uh, Bruce. Well, we could have done Bruce. Uh, remember what's her face's husband in the Cosby show? Those in the Navy. Yes. Like, like he could be Bruce. Or the guy who was working at Whole Foods. Oh yeah, you that husband that that um, somebody Tyler Perry or somebody saw and brought back. Or, he would be perfect. Or Jordan Peele. I mean, he wouldn't do it, but this is all hypothetical. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, Jordan Peele would be work. Mm. Okay, you're recasting. All right. So in my like quintessential casting, of course. For uh, Grant's character, I have George Clooney, like, like peak George Clooney, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, George I Clooney. Thought, I thought of him too. There you go. And then for Hildy, I had Jessica Chastain. <gasps> yes. I was like, oh, that would be awesome. And then yeah, she could totally hold her own. Oh, uh-huh, yeah, she could hold her own, but then she would also be pretty funny. Um, and then for Bruce, I had Will Ferrell. 
<laughs> I was like, man, Will Ferrell would nail Bruce. Yes, he would. Yes, and he then would. for my Will Ferrell, a la Elf, the innocent. Yeah, this yeah. one Will Ferrell is just being like vanilla, like yeah. just milk toast guy. Yeah, that's excellent. Because he would be really funny, just getting busted and stuff. Um, so then I have my role reversal, His Girl Friday. Oh, uh-huh. hello. So I went with Cary Grant's character, the the editor, being played by Rose Byrne. Ooh. Uh-huh. And I had Hildy's character being played by Chris Pine. Yes. Anytime Chris Pine is in anything, uh-huh. it's funny. And then Chris Pine was going to go have the nice suburban life. And he was going to be married to Anna Ferris or Anna Ferris. Oh, yeah, I can totally see that. Uh Uh-huh. Well done. I love the recasting. If our listeners have recastings, we'd love to hear what they are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How can they do that? How can they let us know what they are? Oh, I don't know. Maybe they can just Facebook you. I'm not on that. So. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Tasty nuggets. Um, Actually, at the time that I wrote my tasty nuggets, I thought it was my gal Friday. But a girl <laughs> Friday is the same thing pretty much. And, and it is a woman who acts as an assistant in a business office, sort of like a secretary or clerical duties. Well... I have, I did, I was able to do a little bit of research while your internet was down. And I was like, well, wait, why is it even called His Girl Friday? It is taken, that whole thing comes from Daniel Defoe's novel written in 1719, Robinson Crusoe. What? Mm-hmm. There is a main character and his name is Friday. Yes. I don't know. Okay. It, it's, it's problematic. As you could tell when I said 1719. Yeah. So Friday, I get like a whole thing with Robinson Crusoe. He's stranded on an island, right? And Friday is one of the natives. And he becomes Robinson's servant. Tonto. Yeah. Because, of course, you know, Robinson is a... you know, white guy has to have ha- yeah. yeah a person of color has to be so lesser of, than of course the native has to become his servant so his name so then my man friday came to equal my servant so then the movie takes and that's where it's like his girl friday so it has a whole bunch of different meanings because mm-hmm. you can have his girl friday meaning walter's servant and she's a woman so it's his girl friday meaning she's his servant and Mm -hmm. the whole like you know female male thing that has been around since forever that you're just Mm -hmm. like 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 seriously like we're just now realizing this is bullshit i'm like we don't have to put up with this shit (laughs) so but then also because in the front page the play and the film both hildy and walter were men 
Yeah, so explain that to me. So they were just men. They were newspaper reporters. I don't think they were in... I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here and say they weren't in a same-sex relationship. I'm pretty sure they weren't. So where? So the banter was just between male egos? Yeah, it was just between these two men. This one guy, I guess he wanted to go and start a quiet life with his fiance. And his newspaper managing editor guy was like, no, man, you can't break this up. We're awesome. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because I, I was going, oh, that's a bit awkward for the 1940s. But I so, mean, this film was ahead of its time. Well, Howard Hawks many ways. was at a dinner party and he had the script and there was a woman there at the dinner and she was quite good. And he says, hey, why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you read the part of the reporter and... I think he had the male guy read the editor and they just read the part and Howard Hawks was like, oh my God, this is mm-hmm. so much better. So he changed so, it. Right. So much better as a man and woman. Mm-hmm. Well, now I have as a tasty nugget that when Rosalind Russell read the first draft, she thought, well, Cary Grant gets all the good lines. And this, this Howard dude, my director, he really encourages ad-libbing so she hired an advertisement writer who was a friend of her brother's to give her some lines to, to stick in there. She did, and, and they went with it. Mm-hmm. And Cary Grant, Howard, Howard Hawks never was the wiser. He never suspected anything, but Cary Grant was always, so he was suspicious. So he would greet her every morning and say, hey, what do you got today? What are you going to throw at me today? Uh-huh. Um, so the screenplay was 191 pages. Now, wow. screenplay is that a lot for I don't know. It for, is for because the rule screen. So, if you haven't seen the format of a screenplay, they're formatted. It's not paragraphs. It has a specific format. There's a lot of indentation, dialogues all indentated. Um, the actions kind of separate. It all has a function as far as how to. Because it's a blueprint for the film, so I have seen one because my daughter has written some, <laughs> and yeah, that just that's where that goes. They anyway, they're in my bedroom right now. <laughs> there, oh man, hysterical! I gotta tell you, hysterical, hilarious. So <laughs> the rule is a page of script is usually equal to one minute of screen time. So scripts should be, if you have a two hour movie, it should be about 120 pages, you know, give or or take a few. Got that 60 plus 60. Right. So this was 191 pages. Whoa. But the movie was 92 minutes. So the, if you're going, it's 92 minutes, the script should be 92 pages, Right. Right. But, no, but it was because of that 90 words versus 240 words exactly. a minute. Exactly. It was so fast. Mm-hmm. They were, and they had, um, he did the overlapping dialogue, and he also sped up the actors. Talk. He's like, I want you to talk faster than you usually talk. So everybody was talking like they were the micro machines. And they're just talking, yeah. talking, 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 talking real fast. That's um, why it reminded me of Hamilton and, and uh, you know, how much, how many words those characters would say how fast it went. Yeah, but it that's how people like there are people who talk really fast. It's 
and it's it's refreshing and it's why it's one of the reasons why it's held up it's a movie yeah. that you that it, it holds up pretty good um Carrie i also Grant, read that um i'm sorry to interrupt i i also read that but i'm gonna keep going that um that it, i don't know what it's called but it's it's lease on life or whatever before you can then copy it and and people can look at it gave up like oh the copyright yeah and so <laughs> there lease on life <laughs> there are many um really bad copies out there that are that were you know like second third generation so make sure that you get um if you watch it that you get an original because it's really good you don't want to see second or third generation it's on amazon prime right now mm-hmm. um Cary grant donated his salary for this and the other movie he did the same year the philadelphia story to the war relief fund oh mm-hmm. um, he's a good guy he was a good guy so he was um so in the title and the whole thing, like with Hildy, um, I have this thing from, I guess, because I was looking, it's on from schmoop.com about the title, and that's where I got the Robinson Crusoe stuff. Um, it just says, this film certainly represents Hildy as an independent and competent, as independent and competent, but it also sees limits to that independence and competence. She is awesome but she's still his girl Friday. The emphasis mm-hmm. on girl. She's still under him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I watched it late last night after an extended happy hour and it still held my attention. My sister called in the middle of it. You would have thought that would have broken the momentum, but got right back to it because of how fast it goes. It does. And it's got great thing. Like when Hildy, like when she tears it up, she's like, I said I'd write it. I didn't say I'd tear it up. And you're like, oh, Hildy, that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And there was also something I read that there were a lot of women in the, uh, in the newsroom and it really was way overly, uh, female for that period of time, but I don't remember seeing a lot of women. Well, the women in the newsroom, they were the, the like the secretaries, the switchboard operators, because that, oh. was, that was one of the, the things when they introduced the the movie is that they have the you so it's a tracking shot of the newsroom shows walking the newsroom. And then there's just this thing, this um what is it like they have it at courtrooms and stuff, the swinging door and it says no admittance. And mm-hmm. so a guy came up and he was like, hey, gals, let me know, blah, blah, blah. And that was like where the women work, like the women's pen, because they were the ones on the telephone and stuff. And then that was kind of one of the early visual jokes was that it has this whole thing. It's like all these men coming into this no admittance thing because it's the newsroom. And then you see Rosalind Russell as Hildy and she comes in and she's with the guy. She's with Bruce. And she goes, she's like the only woman that goes through the no admittance thing. Because yes. she works there and he stays on the outside. Right. And so, yeah, like it, in one sense, it had her, but it was just her. 
Yeah. It was her, and then the other female character was this hysterical suicidal woman, Molly. Right. A sex worker. Yeah. Yeah. So it didn't, it, I mean, it's, it's like, I, like, like, you hold on to what's good. But the, but the whole premise of, okay, the newspapers are going to overly embellish and the politicians are going to seek, you know, their demographic to get reelected. And that still holds up. Well, it's been that way from the beginning. And it's it's nice to see that. Where you're like, oh, and they and they call and how there's people who look down on the newspapers. Everything you write is fake and all that stuff. It's mm-hmm. like that's what that's what they do. That's what these people do. It was interesting to see how similar it was from 1940 to 1972, typewriters, telephones, mm-hmm. and then you just think of, what is it, 40-something years later, how yeah. it's just all the internet. I mean, there aren't even, like, press rooms are dwindling. Right. Well, newspapers are dwindling. Yeah, newspapers are, are dwindling. So, and the, the, it's cause they were all like, oh, they would have this stuff and they were like, can you, cause at one point they even made a joke. They wanted the hanging to moved up, be moved up earlier so that they could meet the, the print. So, because the, right. you know, exactly. the newspaper needs to be put to bed because everything needs to be set so that they can run the print, the, you know, actually physically run it. And now that that doesn't exist. Now it's, you have a 24 hour news cycle. Anything right, exactly. that you hear go up, it, it's just going up. Be interesting to have asked them what they saw the newsroom looking like in 2000. Well, they would have, I don't, I don't know. They, they would never have, have imagined their it. Their heads might have exploded. Yeah, true. Uh-uh. Okay, next week is my pick. What are you picking? I'm picking... A classic film. Oh, I like to get to guess. Okay. Give me a clue. I believe it's a 1941 film. 1941 film. Does it star Humphrey Bogart? It does not. Okay. 1941. (sighs) Classic film. Classic. Citizen Kane? It was actually mentioned in this podcast at the very beginning. Hold on, Citizen. It is. Ah, you really? We are doing Citizen Kane next. We are finally doing Citizen Kane. Wow, this is. Well, I thought it went along with the publishing, the whole publishing thing we've been doing. It does. It always seemed to me well because when I was a kid, a teenager, when I was first, first like, what is this history of cinema? Citizen Kane was always on everyone. It was always the number one movie of all time. I don't think I've seen it all the way through. I did see it all the way through because I was like, well, let me see this Citizen Kane if it's supposed to be so good. So I did watch it, but that was a long time ago because I also watched His Girl Friday. And when I was watching it last night, I I was like, I know I watched His Girl Friday because I was in high school and I, I was like, let me see what these classics are. And I don't remember anything about it. 
And so it really makes me just wonder. It, it's really a, a reminder of when you look back and you're like, man, you think you know so much when you're 15 and you don't know anything. <laughs> I tried to tell you you didn't. But that's that's just human. That's just it, yeah, everyone. Of, of course. Everyone is like that. Like, I'm 15. Can't tell me nothing. And then you get to be like knocking on 40 and you're like, man, you didn't know anything. You missed all of this. But I feel like you could watch a classic film each decade and get something different out of it. Yeah, because, because you have of more where experience. you are in your life. Exactly. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. And he was in his 20s when he wrote and directed and acted in this, oh, correct? Yeah, Orson Welles. He was the wonder kid. Yeah. I mean, he was... If we want to, if we want to compare it to somebody, and it, I'm sure it doesn't even compare, but I would say a bit like a, a Ryan Coogler or a Barry Jenkins, but just, you know, I mean, imagine, um, or like Damien, but like, like he was big, like huge. I guess like Ryan Coogler. I mean, he did Black Panther as a second movie. Yeah. So. Yeah. Or was that? Yeah. Wait, did he did he do Creed as well? Is Bar No, he did Creed as his second movie and Black Panther is his third movie. So yeah. He's like like, you know, Barry Jenkins or not Barry Jenkins, Ryan Coogler. Just like the guy who everybody is like, This guy is amazing. Mm -hmm. He's a god. And he had done World War Ugh Gin and Tonic. He had done War of the Worlds. Oh, with Brad? No, Orson Welles. Oh, Orson Welles. Okay. Yeah. Remember? Okay. And he he, yeah. he basically convinced the, the whole country that Martians were attacking. Yeah. I mean, it was like, yeah, that was not a good publicity stunt because people were freaked out. Yeah. You say it wasn't a good publicity stunt, but I knew about it when I was a kid. So... I mean, that's some yeah, publicity. Okay. Other than the people who, you know, like, you know, did headers out of buildings. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you should have waited for more cooperating information. <laughs> well, if we have learned anything, it is to you wait need for a... corroborating <laughs> evidence. You need a second source. You need cited. <laughs> a third source, a as third in all source. the president's men. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, I thought it was time. It's been on our list all this time. It's time to do it. Oh, man. Citizen Kane. All right. Citizen Kane on iTunes. I know we'll be watching it on iTunes. Okay. Not on Prime Video unless you want to pay. Well, you have to be on iTunes too, but well, it's not on. We paid on iTunes because <laughs> that's why I, I laugh. Every time I find a movie, I'm like, that was on Prime, ma. Really? Well, if you find it on Amazon Prime, I checked Amazon Prime. It said that I, I would have to pay money, but let me know ahead of time. No, I'm saying for his girl Friday. I only oh. check it because I check because, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give every away all my secrets here. Okay. You don't have to. So I paid and I didn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Story of my life. <laughs> But you know what? It's all for you, our couple listeners. Wendy, did you hear us mention Creed? We are going to do Rocky at some point, I promise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
It won't be in February, though. No, because, well, we could do Cree in February. We could. We could. Oh, we could. Mm-hmm. February is Black History Month, shortest month of the year, so we got to get our black films in there. And we are. We are going to. Okay, well, listeners, thank you for listening to his Girl Friday. And we'll be here next week. Goodbye.